You are listening to the Genesis Podcast, a community of faith, love, and hope. As we look to the scriptures, it is our desire to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. We are concluding our series on elements. We've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians chapter 5. And as we've been looking at each of these, we've been seeing how that these are important characteristics that are a part of our lives as we are connected to God. The fruit of the Spirit is what happens to us when we are in relationship with a living God. These are supposed to be the things that show up in our lives. And it's good to look, and hopefully you've been challenged like I have, to see areas where you're deficient. I could use more patience, or I could use more gentleness, or, or kindness, or, or goodness, or all of the above and below. You know, I could use more of these in my life. It's meant to be that kind of litmus test because it really shows me who I am. It shows me where I'm at. If I'm not gentle, well, guess what? Then there's a lack in my life. If I'm not patient, guess what? There's a lack of that dynamic relationship with God in my life. And so allow this to, to inform us so that, again, can transform us. And that's what we want to see take place. And so today we're going to be talking about self-control. And it's one of the areas that I think takes the longest time to see come to fruition. Because you don't see it until it's there for a while. I might have self-control one morning, but then tomorrow morning, it's different. Well, then it's not really very controlled, right? It was day control as opposed to having total self-control. And so it's something that I think takes a lot longer to develop in our lives, but it's probably one of the things that when it is in our life has the most clear positive effect in our life out of all the things that we've looked at so far. Self-control is something that definitely governs us in so many ways. Proverbs 16.32 says, Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who conquers a city. A person who has self-control is better than someone who conquers a city. There's another proverb that says, A man without discretion is like a city without walls. A man who doesn't have self-control is vulnerable. Our lives are vulnerable if we don't have control of ourselves. And if you can conquer yourself, then you can conquer just about anything. If you are able to, to master yourself, then you really can master just about anything. But one of the things we need to remember is that self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. So it's not just something that we manufacture. It's not just us trying harder. It's something that is developed in relationship to God. And so this is one of those areas where the dynamic isn't just God and it isn't just us. It's the marriage of us both, where the Spirit of God would put into your heart, your mind, hey, you should be quiet and you speak. And then the Spirit says, why'd you do that? I told you to be quiet. And you get convicted. Oh, I should have been quiet. Why? Okay, because the Spirit ministered to me and I had to respond. And self-control is one of those areas where the Spirit of God is working in our lives and we have to live in response to what God is saying, what God is doing, and how we live our lives. You know, 
a definition of self-control. This was, I thought, very helpful, at least to me. A definition of self-control is making decisions against yourself, against your ego, against your desires that are unhealthy for your life, whether physically, relationally, or in relationship to God. Anyone who has six-pack abs has made decisions against themselves. They chose to go to the gym instead of the buffet. Right? Anyone who has a PhD has made decisions against themselves. They've decided and chose to open the books rather than turn on the TV. Anyone who is a world-class athlete or a world-class musician has made decisions against themselves, against taking something that was easy and forcing them to do something that would further their goal. And so self-control is making decisions against ourselves. I could keep going, but I don't want us to feel too bad here at the beginning with all the things that we could have done. But if you're going to grow in your relationship with God and achieve all the potential that God has created you for, then you are going to have to make decisions against yourself. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. It sounds like making a decision against yourself. And so it's real important that we see that this is something that takes action on our part. And what's happened today, or is happening today, I feel, is something that we feel that if we think about something, it's the same as doing it. I've mentioned this before, and I wrote about it recently. The Oxford Dictionaries just included, Ben actually informed me about this, about the word slacktivism. It's a new word. It's a person who protests online about something but doesn't really put out any effort. See, an activist is someone who does something. A slacktivist is someone who thinks about it, clicks or reposts, and that's it. And they think that's going to make a difference. And, And I think that that's true in the case with many people who call on the name of Jesus. It's like, well, I go to church and therefore everything's good. Or, you know, I I read my Bible or I went to Bible study and so I know what the Bible says, so I'm good. But you see, are you making decisions against yourself to be who God wants you to be? Because that's where self-control comes in. It's resisting temptation. That's making a decision against yourself. I'm not going to go there. Think of this, temptation is actually an opportunity to prove yourself to God and how much you love him. We're all tempted. It doesn't mean something's wrong because you're tempted. It's an opportunity for you to make a choice. Maybe you were tempted by the pie that was brought here today. I made a choice, I ate it. I didn't make a choice against myself. I made a choice 
for the pie, and it was delicious. But sometimes the Lord asks you to give something up, not because it's wrong, but because it's about making a decision against yourself. I heard a story about Jack Hafer, pastor from Church on the Way out in Van Nuys. He's over 80 years old now, and I think he's still pastoring. Years ago, like 30 years ago, he felt like God told him that he should stop eating chocolate. And he did. And he'd be the first one to tell you that there's nothing wrong with chocolate. We can all thank God for chocolate. But he felt impressed to make this decision against himself. And today he still weighs the same as he did when he got married some almost 40 years ago. Maybe putting the dots together. Maybe those things are connected. I I can remember when I was without a job and and feeling like Lord was wanting me to step into a pastoral role and be a part of kind of what we are now, starting a church. I remember I got an offer to do worship at another church. Someone said, hey, well, you can come over here and work for us. And I didn't have a job and I needed a job and they were gonna pay me pretty well. And it looked like something that would be a possibility and I had to make a decision based on what I felt God wanted me to do instead of just what was convenient. It was a decision against myself. And I think that is self-control. And so what I want to do right now, because I feel like when we say that we have to take control of ourselves, when we have to make decisions against ourselves, that there's probably something that takes place. And so I want you to right now, I'd like everyone to close their eyes, please. I want you to just take a moment, and when I say that you need to make a decision against yourself, think about what comes to mind. And as you're thinking about what comes to mind, some of those things might be obvious. It might be an addiction or habit that you know is wrong for your relationship with God or with others. Maybe it's something a little more subtle. But if something has come to mind, the question is then, where do you go from here? And so, you can open your eyes. If something came to your mind, I believe that the Spirit of God, because you call yourself by Christ's name, the Spirit of God lives in you. God has put something in your heart that has made you aware. That's where our self-control meets the Spirit of God and moves our lives forward. Sometimes things don't show up as harmful today as they will be tomorrow. The little things that amount to bigger things. And we ignore this. And then later on, it comes back and it ends up hurting us. But you would find that the Spirit of God warned you, brought you awareness of this, and that what you didn't do is make a decision against yourself in this area. 
And that's what caused the problems. And that's why self-control is so important. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Starting at verse 24, we're going to go through verses 24 through 27. Verse 24, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. You know, I like this metaphor because I think it's something that helps us to see the intentionality and almost a very clean description of what it is. When you run a race, someone wins. Everyone else loses to that winner, except today. You know, if you're in Little League today, everyone gets a trophy, you know, or everyone wins. I I know that all of my kids got awards at school. They got effort awards. They got something, but everyone comes away with an award, you know. And we went there and celebrated. Yay, you got an award, you know. I don't. Yeah, you're failing the class, but you got an award, you know. You might get an A for academics, you know, or then you get an A for effort. <laughs> at least you tried, you know. You want the A for academics, but effort does matter. You know, I want the Lord to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not well thought, good and faithful servant, or, you know, well tried. No, well done. You put the effort, you did what was necessary. And this idea of a race gives us this kind of description, gives us this kind of intensity, this kind of competition where you're here to compete against yourself and what you are supposed to be. In verse 25, he says, every athlete, exercises, and the word there is actually self-control, okay? Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. That word there is self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. If we had half the effort that professional athletes have in their life, as we would want in our spiritual life, oh my gosh, the difference it would make. When, when you watch some of these videos, documentaries, talking about a person, whether it's an Olympic athlete, whether it's a professional football player, basketball player, the peoples who excel, man, they're on the court all the time. They're in the room studying. They're in the, the room viewing the videotapes on and on and again. You ever watch the football games and they're there with their iPads? I guarantee you they're not playing games. They're watching the game and they're trying to better themselves. If we would take half that effort and apply it to our spiritual lives, man, in our relationship with Christ, what would happen? And discipline has the ability to, to transfer into our lives, other areas. I I actually do believe that physical discipline and exercise spills over into other areas of your life. When you start exercising, you start becoming more aware of what you're eating. You also probably take better care of other things that you do. You probably also stop doing other things that might be considered lazy or, or problematic it starts to spill over into these other areas. It starts to to transform other areas. 
But the same is true with laziness. Laziness starts to spill over into our spiritual lives. If I don't read, if I don't study, and I just watch TV, guess what? My devotion goes downhill. My prayer goes downhill. Why? Because there's no discipline. And so being disciplined physically as well as spiritually, I believe, work hand in hand. You know, when we talk about, or you hear people talk about sins, it's rare to hear someone talk about gluttony as being a bad sin. It's not one of those things that we see as the other deadly sins, you know, whether it be, you know, anger or jealousy, other things like that. But really, it's the same thing. It's this lack of self-control. It's just as much of a problem as people who are greedy or people who are, you know, addicted to sexual things. It's a matter of not having control. When I train dogs, a lot of times people who have small dogs, they let the small dog get away with murder. Why? Because it's small. And the dog jumps on you and you're just thinking, oh, it's just a little dog, how cute. If it was an 80-pound lab and it was doing that, it would be terrible because it could knock you over, it could hurt you, but it's the same thing with the dog. They're asserting themselves, they're being demanding, and more people are bit by small dogs than are bit by big dogs, and it all has to do with how we treat the dog. We allow them to get away with asserting themselves, asserting themselves, so pretty soon they think they have the right to. It's a lack of self-control. When you get the dog to stop doing that, to take control of themselves, then the dogs start behaving better. And the same thing's true with us. If we take control of our lives, then it affects all the areas of our lives. And so discipline is a good thing. Fasting is probably one of the ultimate forms of discipline. You see, if you can say no to food, then you can say no to just about everything. And if you can't say no to food, then there's probably other areas that you will be affected by. And the whole idea of fasting is if you're struggling in an area of self-control, then give up something like food and connect it to what you're struggling with. I'm gonna show control in my life over this. God, you mean more to me than even the food I eat. God, you mean more to me than even this habit I have. God, you mean more to me than this problem that I'm dealing with, that I'm allowing to affect my life. God, you mean more to me, and I know you can have control over me even more than my marriage, my relationship, my children. Fasting is a way of giving ourselves over that self-discipline. And when did we think that this life would be easy, right? I mean, I know for a long time when I first came to faith, it was like, oh, I'm a Christian, everything's great. And then, wow, it's not so great. Wow, I still have problems. Wow, this world still stinks. All the disciples were martyred. Except for John, he died of an old age, but he was banished. History is littered with the bodies of those who followed Jesus, and we should know that it's going to cost us something. And if we find ourselves in a place 
where there's more lack of control than actual self-control, then what we need to ask ourselves is, are, are we controlling this behavior or is this behavior controlling us? Have we relinquished our lives to this or to the Spirit of God? Who do we belong to? And I've got to tell you, I struggle with multiple areas in my life. I'm not saying that, hey, you guys, someday you can be like me. I hope you can be like Jesus, not like me. I find that when I achieve some degree of success in an area, the Lord always shows me a deeper area that needs work. And and it's an ongoing process, but it needs to be because otherwise we get stagnant. And I can look back on my life and see how many people I know, people who've been involved in, in serving God and in ministry, and, and see how many people whose lives are wasted and have fallen away and aren't walking in the dynamic relationship with God. And it would fill a bucket. And the ones who have actually stayed consistent and stayed walking dynamically with God would probably fill up a thimble. And the difference comes to this, allowing your life to be passionate for the things that God wants and to be willing to be self sacrificing and those things that would destroy our lives to make a decision against those things and to be dynamic in those things. And sometimes that dynamic process means you get counseling. If you're struggling with your kids, if you're struggling in a relationship, if you're struggling with a drug addiction, if you're struggling with some area, sometimes the best thing you can do is get counseling. And a lot of times it's just pride that says no. I, I can't get help there. They can't help me. That's what the Celebrate Recovery group is about. People saying, you know what? We got issues. Yeah, that's me. Everything from control issues to drug addictions to emotional issues covers the whole gambit. Willing to say, yeah, we acknowledge these things and we want to move forward and get healing. Because remember, part of getting healing is confessing our sins to one another. We could be self-absorbed. What do we have to do? Acknowledge it. It helps take the power away from it. In Psalm 32, verse 7, it says, You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. See, I believe that God is a God who delivers. He, he delivers our lives, and he's wanting to deliver us now still. But many of us have been delivered, and what we now want to do is we, we need to back that up. We've been delivered from something, but then we need to, to discipline ourselves so that we can move forward. I've been forgiven. God has delivered me from my sin, but now what I need to do is take 
a step forward and discipline my life so I can move from where I'm at to where I want to be. Because what God wants to do is continue, continue delivering me in my life and where I'm at. And if I'm not progressing, and if I'm not living a dynamic life, then something's going on that can be detrimental. It happens in our relationships, and it happens in our relationship with God. A lot of times we start asking God what's permissible. What can I do, God? Is it okay if I do this? Is it okay if I do that? You know, but what we need to understand is not what's permissible, but what's beneficial. 1 Corinthians six twelve says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. Is my life trending towards permissible or is it trending towards beneficial? Am I just doing things because I want to stay in the family or am I doing things to get closer to the Lord? And maybe it's a defining moment. I know I've had a few in my life where I've had to stop and say, okay, I'm not living the life I want to live with God. I need to make a change. I need to stop acting like this. I need to make a decision against myself in this area or it's going to lead me to ruin. And sometimes it's how I'm thinking. Sometimes it's anger towards a person and it starts to devour me. And pretty soon how I think is poisoning my soul and I need to make a decision against myself. I'm gonna show self-control in how I think and I'm not going to allow myself to go down this road. I'm not gonna be talking about these people. I'm not gonna go down here because it's not beneficial to who I want to be. I wanna be better than that. Have you lost the desire to be closer? Are you living a life trending towards permissible instead of beneficial? And maybe what you need is a defining moment where that thing that I asked you about at the beginning, what do you need to make a decision against yourself? Today you make the defining moment and say, I'm not going to give in to this any longer. I'm making a decision. I mean, this is a matter of trading a life that is average and tolerable for one that is excellent. I mean, let's face it, a person like Paul or those who really want to walk close to God and to be partakers of the kingdom of God are people who make choices against themselves, against their self-indulgences. And it's important that we recognize that If we want to be these people, we have to do the same thing. I don't know anyone who's lived a self-indulgent life that is happy. But I know a lot of people who have denied themselves, made decisions against themselves, shown self-control, that live fulfilling lives. What are we going to do? What are we going to choose? Verse 26 says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. 
but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Aimless. No rhyme, no reason, no direction, no goal. Does my life have a goal? What is it? What is your life's goal? What are you wanting? Well, I want to be close to God. What are you doing then to get there? You see, without a goal, then we're going to have problems. You have no direction if you have no goal. And I love this beating the air. I think it's a great image. I think of air guitar. You know, a person playing an air guitar. They might be good in their head. And they get, man, they're playing, they're playing, but doing something that results in nothing. You're not getting any better at playing guitar. You just think you are. You're not playing guitar. I hear no music. It's all just happening. You're beating the air. You're, you're doing nothing. What are we doing that's amounting to something that is getting us to our goal? You see, if you're going to church but unwilling to change, you're beating the air. If you pray but you don't believe that God can do anything, you're beating the air. You're going through motions. James says that you will not receive anything. You're double-minded. And so it's important that we don't just beat the air. And so a couple of things, three things that I I wrote down to try and help us in this area of self-discipline. And these are areas that were convicting to me. These are areas where I need to work. One is establishing goals. An absence of goals is often an absence of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. What are you hoping for? What are you wanting to be? If there is no goal of what you want to be, then there is going to be the lack of desire to pursue that. If you think, well, I just want to get through my life, guess what? Your goals aren't really existent. Self-discipline will not get you anywhere if you have nowhere to go. What are your goals? Who do you want to be? What do you want to do? You might find your life meandering because there is a lack of goals. What do you want to do? What are you hoping for? If you don't go for something, there is no need for self-control. Remember, righteousness is not the absence of doing something wrong. It is the presence of doing something right. It's not enough. I'm not doing anything wrong. Yeah, but what are you doing? Well, it's nothing wrong. That's good. What are you trying to become? What are you doing to become that person? We don't overcome issues in our lives by the absence of, of bad things, but by the discipline of good things. When you run a race, if you're going to run a marathon, you better work out. You better go to the gym. You better exercise. Otherwise, you're going to fail. Where are you going? How are you exercising your life so that you can get there? You need to discipline yourself. Second thing is establishing boundaries. If you don't say no you will not be in control over your life, but you'll relinquish your life to your situations. You have to say no to people. You have to say no to things. 
You have to say no to desires. You have to say no to attitudes. You have to say no to thoughts. If you don't say no, then you are going to relinquish the control of your life to those things. Sometimes it's saying no to people. You can give of yourself, give of yourself, give of yourself, and you have no self because it's being given away. Sometimes it's saying no to habit or a way of living, thinking. If you don't say no, you will not be in control over your life. And the third one, this is the one that really, I guess, I need the most work at, at is establishing routines. One of the most spiritual decisions you can make is setting your alarm clock to get up and have intention for that day. And every time you press the snooze button, maybe you can think of it as you're delaying your dream by about nine minutes. And I do that. If I don't have a lesson until 11 o'clock, well, I can sleep. I don't have one until one o'clock, I can sleep later. And all I'm doing is delaying the intention of that day. And establishing routines is self-discipline. It's, again, developing that control, that self-control. Routine is a part of self-control. If you're doing something well, you probably have a routine. person, again, who's exercising, they probably have a routine. They get up every morning, they do that. If you get up in the morning early and go for a walk, my wife keeps telling me, you want to go for a walk? I keep saying, you go ahead. (laughs) She's in a routine. She's doing it well. Me, not so much. But a routine is necessary if you're going to do something well. So let me ask us, what's our spiritual routine? How well are you doing in this relationship with God? How much of his influence are you giving yourself to? Prayer, looking at scripture or or hearing things that can help build you up. How are you developing this relationship? What priority does it have in your life? And even as we talked about at the beginning, what you do tells you who you are. It's giving you a clue to what's really going on. You should be able to look at your life and say, that's who I am. And the problem that you see is the answer that needs to change. Wow, I'm not getting up. Guess what? You need to get up. Wow, I'm giving myself over to this way of thinking. Guess what? That's where you need to change. That's the self-discipline that needs to come into your life. Spurgeon once wrote, whenever he reads a passage of scripture, what he does when he reads that scripture is he makes a beeline to the cross. How does this scripture connect to Jesus and what Jesus has done? And I think as we've been going through the fruit of the spirit, we need to look at these things and take each one and make a beeline to the cross because that's where our help comes from. Remember, this is all a part of 
all a part of this relationship with the living God and how he loves us and has made it so that we can have relationship with him. So the fruit of the spirit is love. From love, you make a beeline to a cross. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I take that fruit and it goes right to the cross. Joy, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I can take that fruit of the spirit and I can go directly to the cross and and see that this is where God is and what he wants, peace. He shall keep in perfect peace those whose mind are stayed on him. I will take this fruit of the spirit and I will go directly to Jesus and see it in Jesus and see that it needs to be a part of my life. Patience, love is patient. I will go directly to Jesus, see the patience of Christ with his disciples, the patience of Jesus with me. And I see who I'm supposed to be as I see it in Jesus. Kindness, Jesus was kind. I need to see who he is, and I need that to be a part of my life. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, all these areas I can take back to Jesus and see who I need to be. Self-control. Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass away from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Jesus made a decision against himself and entrusted himself to the one who judges justly, to God himself. I go to Jesus and I see who I need to be. And so all these fruit of the Spirit we see in the person of Jesus most clearly. And I hope that we can see the importance that each one of them has and is supposed to be evident in our lives. And as we've been going through this, or as you go through and and look at these again, let them jump out at you. And after you've allowed those to speak to you, this last one, what aren't you making a decision against yourself in, and how can you change it? Because that is the fruit of the Spirit and self-control. Let's pray. Lord, it is good that you challenge us, but sometimes it's uncomfortable. Lord, sometimes when I feel you speaking to me, I get restless because I don't really want to change. I don't want to make a decision against myself in so many areas. but I know that it's good that I feel that pressure. I know that it's good that your spirit is speaking to me and this is where you and I interact. And this is where I have to take up my part in response to you doing your part. And I pray for all of us here, Lord. I I know that there are things that come to our mind as we talk about this fruit of self-control. I know there are areas that each of us has that we see a lack and you have been pushing us. Lord, you push us because you love us. And Lord, may we desire change. May we want to live a life 
that is beneficial and not just one that is permissible. May we want to be people who are righteous because we are doing and living right lives. May we not become complacent. Father, may we have hope in you. May we have goals that we are living for. May we have boundaries that we are living in. And may we develop routines that help us to live in those boundaries and to achieve those goals. By your Spirit's help, we pray. In Jesus' name. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.